You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 61. Today, we're getting to hear Meredith's story. She was diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer in her 30s, and she had a 19-month-old at the time. Now she is 15 years out and getting ready to see her daughter enter her senior year of high school. She shares her two-week rule, which has helped to decrease her anxiety and fear significantly, and I'm so excited to share her story. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. Guys, I am so excited. We have a really interesting lady with us today. She has an amazing two-week rule that she's going to tell you about that really has helped her in her post-cancer recovery. So I'm excited for her to share that technique that she's been using. We are going to hear her story. She's going to tell us a little bit about herself. I'm so happy to have her. Meredith, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to have you. So tell me your story. When were you diagnosed? What's your diagnosis? Tell us what treatment you got. Give us the lowdown. Sure. I was diagnosed in 2006. So I just celebrated 15 years. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yes. It's a great amount of time. I had a 19 month old daughter when I was diagnosed. And the crazy thing about my start of my story is that I was having a baseline mammogram because my grandmother who had advanced Alzheimer's had a lump and we never, of course, had it diagnosed or anything. But at that time, when that happened, my OBGYN had said, you know, let's start your mammograms early. Mm -hmm. So I had Campbell, my daughter in 2004, and I was at an appointment in 2006 and I was actually hugging my OBGYN goodbye. And I said, oh, yeah, weren't we going to have a mammogram? She said, yeah, let's do a baseline mammogram and a cholesterol test. And I, my joke is like, out of all those that I would fail, I didn't think it would be the mammogram. <laughs> and she didn't either. And I will say in a matter of week, everything was done. It was fast and furious. I had triple negative breast cancer, grade three. I had the best nurse and she's still my very good friend. And she had me make a grid when she called to give me the results. And Mm -hmm. she said, there's a number that we want to be under less than 10%. So she had me filling in all these numbers. And I saw that that number was 67%. I think it was the rate of growth. And it kind of, you know, knocked the wind out of me. And she also had to make the call of it's in your lymph nodes. And At that time I said to her, because when I first met with her, she's like, you know, you have a young daughter, we're going to do everything aggressive. You're going to live to be 83. And I remember saying to her, will I still live to 83? (laughs) She's like, we're going to do the exact same treatment. Yes. We're going to get you there. You know, Dr. Carlson, my oncologist said, this is serious. This is the deal. We're going to attack it. So as you know, I had dose dense, adromycin, cytoxin, and then taxol. And then I had radiation, then kind of, we went from there. Did you have surgery before the chemotherapy? So yes. So I was very large breasted. My tumor was just in the right side and it was really small. 
Um, like within three days I was in surgery and I had just the lumpectomy and yep. the sentinel node at the same time. And they found a sentinel node involved. And then did they do a lymph node dissection? They did not. Okay. Uh, my surgeon at the time said, I'm a surgeon. I can go in there and take whatever you want. Because I was like, well, I want to know how many are, you know, how many are involved. And he said, your prognosis will not change. Mm-hmm. And removing more lymph nodes could proved to be more of an issue. So let's stick with the lymph node we've got. We have all the information we need for your treatment. So was and the lymph node relatively small? It was the sentinel node and they just, I don't know, actually, they just said it was present in the lymph node. Okay. You I, must have qualified for the Z11 trial, which is when you've got a small amount of disease in the lymph node that you don't know it's there clinically, meaning you can't feel it ahead of right. time. And you do a sentinel node and there's only a small amount of disease. There's data that you don't have to go back in and do a full node dissection. So you, it must have been small. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing that was interesting that you asked about that is because I wanted, as far as staging, you know, they staged me at stage two Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, we're going to do a PET scan. Are we going to, are we going to go see how many lymph nodes it's in? You know, what if I'm a three, what if I'm a four? Right. And kind of had to get around that idea of knowing that your two is enough. And my oncologist, which was probably exactly right for me at the time, said, Meredith, I don't care if we find something this big somewhere else, something this big somewhere else, your outcome will be the same. And what we need to do now is get this out of you and go from there. And his goal at the time was to have me survive long enough to see Campbell go to kindergarten. So which would have been in three years, you know, three to five years. So after a while, knowing that I would worry about that kind of stuff and still not understanding, I knew, you know, I knew what breast cancer was, but in my head, somehow I magically thought, well, if you remove the breast, you remove the cancer. I didn't get the part about recurrence is always possible. You're never fully cured. I mean, I got it pretty, pretty quick after that, but I, I didn't know it at the time of all this, you know, information coming at the time. Once I settled into the idea of, yeah, I don't want to go looking for it. I'm fine with that. He said, the three of us in this room, we could do scans. We're going to all find something we're going to have to look at. Less is better. I'm not going to open the body unless I need to. If you show symptoms for something else, we're going to look for something else, but we're not, we're not poking the bear at all. Right. We're going to get this and go on. Right. Yeah. Sort of like not hunting for small things that might delay things that end up being nothing, which, you know, often is a good policy, especially after COVID, how many of us are going to have little spots in our lungs that are going to light up on PET scans that are going to really throw a wrench in the works for a lot of people. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I had to get my arm around that, like knowing, well, should I be more worried than stage two? And now I know the worry doesn't matter at all. I mean, the outcome is going to be the same. No matter how much I worry, I'll be happier the less I worry. So you know, learning those things along the way. This was in 2006 and your daughter Campbell was 19 months old. You said, yeah, she and was. you were triple negative and your goal was to get her into kindergarten into kindergarten. Okay. So and I just want to remind all the people who are out there listening to this, who are triple negatives, you know, stage two, little kid, young patient, look where we are today. My son was also born in 2004 so he is 17. So Campbell is 17 or 18. She, she's a youngie. So she's 16, but she's starting her senior year. Okay. So honestly, this is gravy. This is all yeah. gravy. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's amazing. 
She's going to be graduating. You're going to be here to see her go to college. At this point, we would anticipate that you are cured of this because triple negatives, we know highest risk of recurrence is in the first two to three years. So once you get to five, the odds of you getting that cancer back are really low. That's good to even hear you say again. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm counting on for sure. It's one of those things. Doesn't matter how many times people say it, you're still happy to hear it, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So you were one of the I put this in air quotes, lucky people that did not have to go through chemotherapy and radiation in the middle of a pandemic. Was there anything unusual that happened along your treatment course? I had a really hard time with the first adromycin. Our kind of joke is the night before I started, I went to Walgreens to pick up my medicines and, you know, people are so lovely. I always call it the beauty in the darkness. So much beauty comes out of all of this but it's still a rather dark place to be. But I had two $40 gift cards to Walgreens. She said, that'll be $1,004. That was for my anti-nausea meds. And I was like, here's my gift cards. So I remember like, oh, I had my first treatment and it went fine. But like two hours later, I was so sick and I expected some sick. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, you just hear about it. I heard some people was like, oh, it's a few days. And my doctor said, it's different for everybody. Don't plan on anything. Don't count on, you know, don't be waiting for it. Just if it happens, we'll handle it. And about eight hours into vomiting, Christian called the doctor again, my husband and said, you know, I, I get that she's supposed to be sick. I get that this is, you know, heavy stuff, but we did just pay a thousand dollars for anti-nausea meds. <laughs> Um, should this be working better? And he said, yeah, I'll bring her in. So I went in and we actually did, they did just a little bit of adjusting and added Ativan, which I didn't realize that would do the trick, but it's, that was my best friend after that <laughs> point was the Ativan. So after that treatment wise, besides just kind of being gross and then feeling better just in time for the next one, since I was mm, dose dense, I yes. was every two weeks. I remember my mother who almost moved into the house to take care of Campbell. If I would get into a mood and I would sometimes where I'd be like, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And she'd be like, of course you're going back. Rah, rah, rah. And my husband was so smart. He would just say, okay. And he'd be rubbing my legs and like, all right. Cause he knew by the time I got over the hump of side effects, it's, yep. you know, immediate right away that I would be, everything would come back to my head clearly. And I would be ready to go in the next two weeks. But it, it is hard to get there because you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, it's worth it. And then Texel was not great. I had some neuropathy that came on really strong. But my sister had emailed everybody the day I was going to start Texel because it was halfway through my treatment. Mm-hmm. And I think they administered over like six hours, maybe eight, just to be careful about allergic reaction. So we were quiet that morning. We were all kind of nervous and Christian was going to take Campbell to her preschool. My mom was going to take me and we came down the street and I turned the corner and there lining our whole street was a chemo rally and it was friends and family with signs and ribbons and my daughter's daycare is there. My mom worked at a um, facility and all their patients were there in wheelchairs. And like, I don't know how many people were there, but just cheering and um, we were bowling. And it was one of the neatest moments of my life for sure. My sister thought it'd be a good idea because, you know, it's in the middle. It's when you need to go through. And it really did make that day that long. Getting you over that hump. 
Yes. And they had all signed a sheet. So then somebody delivered that to us at the chemo center so I could read the names. And then they all had come up to our house and filled our house with, you know, balloons and homegrown tomatoes. And there were posters all over the wall that they had been holding and stuff. Oh, what a neat, neat, neat thing. And it really wasn't, it really got us through, you know, that day, which ended up being fine. And the funny thing is on my last day of Taxol, I had a small allergic reaction, you know, where they, you know, the whistles go off and they have to shut it down and somebody has to come back in and it all ended up fine. They just slowed it way down. And that's so interesting. That's really unusual to have it on your last Last. one. Usually it's either the first or the second. I felt flush and my pulse was racing. It was, and I was, you just don't want to do anything normally, do you? (laughs) I guess not. And then I took my short break and then I had radiation. And like I said, at that time, I still had large breasts and I had pretty good burning towards the end Mm -hmm. and fatigue had set in. And by the end I was like, okay, I'm done with all of this. So I was really, yes, radiation was a million times better, but I was really glad when all that was over too. So the people who really have that significant skin issue, you've got both of them because you'd had chemotherapy, which makes your skin more sensitive and you've got large breasts. And it's one of those things that the bigger the breast is, the more radiation you need from the outside to get the right amount at the center of the breast. So if you have a smaller breast, you can imagine you need less radiation to get the full dose at the middle, the bigger the breast, the more radiation, the more the poor skin takes the toll. That makes sense. And I do remember that day. It was just that, or those five days where it's just that direct blast. I already started feeling better because of that. So then following that, the other unique thing to us was our genetic counselor said, let's do a BRCA one and two test. Mm -hmm. Let's take your history. And we went through all the history and and he said, "Um, let's see what happens. Well, it did come back BRCA one positive. Okay. Which we had no one else. I mean, my grandmother, yes, but nobody else on either side, no relatives, no cousins. So I would say he was a little surprised too. And I was young. And I was not ready to have a mastectomy yet. Mm-hmm. And I had to give that a lot of thought. And I said, my, kind of my joke was, I'm still using these boobs. And my husband and I are sexually active. And like my OBGYN said, you know, that's your motherboard. That's a whisper in the ear. And ooh, we're getting ready here. And I really drug my feet for a long time. And then in 2009, I did go ahead and have a double mastectomy with Mm -hmm. reconstructive surgery, took everything. Um, It wasn't nipple sparing at the time. And I know some people are doing that a little bit differently now. In fact, I find myself getting a wee bit jealous. Um, You know, though, let me just tell you, nipple sparing mastectomies, the nipples lose their sensation. It would not have mattered in terms of the sexual function because your nipples, they take all the tissue out from under them. So they lose 90 plus percent of their sensation. You know, I don't have to be jealous. <laughs> you don't have to be, you know, you can be jealous for how it looks. You don't have to be jealous for how it feels. Yeah. And that part's funny. Cause that part doesn't bug me. I'm like, I've spent years trying to cover those things up. I'm okay with that part. My oncologist was really saying, you got to have that euphorectomy, Meredith, that we just cannot find ovarian cancer easy enough. It's so hard. And Christian was like, I think we're going to beat this, but frankly, I don't want to be a young dad with two kids on my own. Let's have the oophorectomy because I don't need a second child. So then I did end up having an oophorectomy a few years after that. Was that something that was hard for the two of you? Had you wanted more children? The funny thing is we had never wanted a child. 
And then five years into our marriage, we're like, well, we're pretty good at this. You know, we're handling married life. Okay, let's do it. And Christian's joke is we've made longer decisions about what car to buy than if we were going to have a child. Because once we said yes, and we did it by the book, got off the pill for three months, tried once, got pregnant. So after we had her, we're like, oh yeah, let's have another one. And I always think there's something about just having the choice taken away. Yeah. Um, well, you were 36. I mean, you still, yeah, yeah that, yeah. that is something that you lost from this. Yeah. But you know, my daughter's a travel softball player and she's going to play in college and we get to go together. I mean, we're fine. We're absolutely fine. Did we think it was going to happen that way? No. It was it the right thing for us. Yeah. We like to travel as a threesome. The divide and conquer is great for some families, for us. That's the bright side. We're going to see to that. This makes us, we all go together. Right. I think that that's one of the things in life is we all have a choice of how we want to look at what life gives us because none of us get to choose what comes our way, but you get to choose how you're going to think about it. And so you can take that and make it into for the rest of your life. My family is lacking, or you can take it and make it into, this is exactly the perfect family for me right now. You know, because it would not have been the perfect family for you to have another child in the midst of chemotherapy and radiation might've been nice to have another, but that was not the right thing for you health-wise. And when you've got a triple negative cancer, you don't really want to start even thinking about a baby in that first two years. So it was the right thing, even if it was a hard thing. Right. Absolutely. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I often feel like when people say to me, is she your only child? I used to answer, yes, I had cancer. And then I was like, why am I justifying that? I mean, yes, she's our only child. Yeah, it worked out right. I'm the opposite. So we have four. And I, for the longest time, got the question, you're done, right? And I was like, "Uh, I am, but not because another child wouldn't be probably amazing, but we're done because I'm old and I've had complications and, you know, not because of what anyone thinks about me having a fifth kid. Right. Right. The assumptions. Yeah. So it's funny. Everybody thinks two is right. Like you have under two people give you a hard time. You have more than three people give you a hard time. You know, so interesting. At the start, I sort of alluded to the fact that you have a two week rule. And this was actually when I was looking for people to do this podcast with me, you told me this and I was like, Ooh, I'm intrigued. I always like rules. (laughs) So tell us what your two week rule is and how this has made it so that you get through all of this with a little less stress. Right. I saw a great psychologist when I was going through chemo and radiation, and we had decided that the goal was to live the rest of my life with grace and dignity, whatever that is. I realized that after I got through treatments, the moment I would have a pain, my brain would go to, it's a tumor, it's metastasized, it's cancer. And I do know that your mind grows where it goes. And I, I didn't want to live that way. And I didn't want to live in fear. So I was just like, how can we figure this out? And there were times where I definitely needed to go in right away. Like, oh, I kind of keep it secret, just brewing in my head for a while. And then I'd email and call just, he's like, I'll see you in the morning. I definitely had some lumps checked and different things. And I've even had a lump on my breast checked again and switched out the implants, that kind of stuff. And all has been fine. But The rule that we came up with was when I had a pain or something that was new, like a backache, 
to remember I had aches and pains before mm-hmm. I had a diagnosis and I will have aches and pains that aren't cancer after. So what we came up with was a two week rule. Mm-hmm. And that rule is feel the pain, treat the pain with, you know, whatever I needed, ibuprofen, heat, ice, whatever I needed. And then um, just make a little note in my calendar and then Watch that in the terms of if I still have that pain in two weeks, then it's time to call somebody. What usually almost 90% of the time happens is that pain has disappeared within three right. to four or five days. It's gone because it's a normal ache and pain the body gets because we're human bodies. <laughs> what that did was shut my mind down on the paths that might be. You know, it let me just say, okay, so noted if it comes back and also made me also feel just a little bit in control. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not a victim to this pain. I'm going to control this pain by letting it go and then checking back in. And so it really changed the way I look at things and like, Oh, we'll give it two weeks. Something can go away in two weeks. And it's helped helped immensely. And so many things go away in two weeks. You tweak your back gardening, you know, by two weeks, it's going to be better. And even if it's not completely gone, a lot of times you can see, oh, every day it's better than the day before. This is not going to be breast cancer because breast cancer isn't going to get better every day. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's brilliant. It is one thing I do pass along because it really has saved my mind. I mean, I just can put it to rest. Right. Go with it again later. It's so amazing because this is what we talk about when we talk about the difference between clean pain and dirty pain. So clean pain is the physical sensations in your body. Dirty pain is when you add all sorts of mental judgments to that pain. And it's where you start telling yourself, this pain means something bad. I shouldn't be having this pain. This, I need to worry about this. This is bad. You add all this judgment to it and you compound that pain into from something that really, you know, is uncomfortable, but tolerable to something that is all encompassing and hugely traumatic. And so if you can just keep it in the zone of being clean pain, where you're like, yes, my body physically has pain and, you know, I'm not going to judge that pain. It does make things so much better. Yeah. I like the clean and dirty pain. That is really good. Cause our brains can turn things into the proverbial mountain out of a molehill. Right. Yep. Right. That's what our brains are good at. Right. Well, I think that's just brilliant. I love it. I actually tell patients something similar, you know, so I tell them, you know, really, if it's still there in two weeks, I want to know about it. And, you know, a lot of them are like, well, it hurts, you know, my shoulder one day and my hip one day and my knee one day and my elbow one day. I'm like, dude, if it's not the same pain every day, it's not your cancer. Your cancer does not jump from your hip to your elbow, to your chin, to your, to your ear over two weeks. Right. You know, right. You're allowed to have a different pain every day. That's like the human condition as we age. And especially people who have had chemotherapy and radiation. Yeah. You're going to have aches and pain. I feel like now every day there's something new. (laughs) Right. The joy of hitting 50, right? Right. (laughs) Any other good advice you've given to people? I do want to touch on a sexual component for a minute, if I could. I would love that. And I think definitely there's 
a component of this to so many people's cancers. I'd love for you to open up the door for that. Sure. You bet. I don't hold many secrets. My poor husband just has to come along for the ride, I guess. <laughs> and like I said, we are sexually active and losing my nipples and my breast were tricky to say the least. I mean, yeah, zero sensation. And that's tricky just for foreplay and getting things going. But then what happened is I had some chemo induced menopause and then I had my oophorectomy, which also then you're, then you're there. Um, and so what happened was our sex became very painful, not even mm -hmm. just like low mood, which can happen too, of course. And sometimes that happened too. But for us, that was a way to connect was through sex. And so then that also is suffering. So you have these, you know, components jumping on top of each other. And I talked to my OBGYN and she said, what's going on is that inside your vagina now is like tissue paper. And we need to get it like wrapping paper, because if you think of tissue paper and there becomes little cuts and holes in there, yep. and then you have sex. And then you get that in your cuts and holes. That's why it's so uncomfortable. I mean, it was not just uncomfortable. It was pain. I can't do this, you know? And so then you don't feel like a woman because you've lost your breasts. I mean, it's just compacts everything. And so between my oncologist and my OBGYN, the decision was made. And I think we were at year, we must've been at year 11. Mm -hmm. The decision was made. I could do low dose hormones. Mm -hmm. It was a huge decision. I came into my oncologist's office and this, my other oncologist had left and I loved him and I love my new one. And, but it was his first time meeting me and I'm like, oh, I can't have sex and it's super painful and I'm crying. And my husband's sitting with me and he's like, nice to meet you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> and at that point, I think he would have prescribed anything, even though I'm triple negative. And it shouldn't be that they still do not recommend hormones. Yeah. But then it was a question about quality of life mm -hmm. and it was still tricky because, okay, if I went on this hormone and something came back after 11 years, would it be my fault because I needed to have sex? But it, obviously it's more than just about having sex. It's about the way we interact and the way our family works with each other. And as you said, after five years, things look better for triple negative. So I had to kind of, we had to kind of risk and reward and we decided it was worth the risk. So for me, which I know will not be for everyone, it was worth taking that risk. And I came to the fact in my head that I wasn't going to blame myself for a recurrence or metastasis based on that alone. Yeah. And it, it took a long time. I had the prescription probably for six months actually before I went ahead and used it, but my first oncologist was in Grand Island and we saw him with my mother for another incident. And he said, off the record, how are you? And I told him the situation and he said, you know what, Meredith, do it. You don't have to stay on it forever. Try it for six weeks, try it for eight weeks. If you, if it doesn't work like you think, let go of it. It's not worth the risk, but if you get joy from it at this point, do it. And he was kind of the push for me just because yeah. I'd been with him for so long. Oh, I do not regret it for me. I get that it's not going to be the same for every story, but I also don't want to live disconnected in right. that way for us where it was still so important. You know, women in their 60s or 70s, and I'm, and I'm speaking generally, are me like, get rid of my boobs. I'm done with them. I'm never using them. You know, and I had just breastfed my baby. I mean, I was like, I don't want to get rid of these. 
So I know everybody's in a different spot, but when you're 44 and you can't have sex because you literally yeah. are in tears, it's, it's a little traumatic. And so, yeah, the, the reward and risk was worth it for us. And I agree with you, not the standard of care, but again, yes, sort of figuring out, you know, weighing quality of life is a huge part of all of this. One of the things that, you know, probably they did not have then, but they do have now. And I'm actually trying to get someone to do a podcast with me is they have a vaginal laser that they put up inside and it lasers little holes in the vagina, which then heal and recruit collagen. And so it's been clinically proven to increase collagen in the vagina. One of the names of it is Diva Laser. There's multiple different brands of it, but the one that I happen to know is called Diva Laser. And so it's interesting because we have found some things for the breast cancer people that really hormonal therapy is not a great option for. So, you know, if the hormonal therapy stops working for you, there's other options out there. Yeah, I like knowing that. That's a great idea. And it's supposedly it increases collagen. So things are stretchier and more comfortable, but also improves lubrication, supposedly. That's great. Yeah. So it would be nice to have other options. And so far we're, we're doing fine and it's low dose and um, it doesn't go through the bloodstream. And so everybody still is on board and confident. And actually at year 12, I won't see my oncologist now until, till I call him. Wow. Yeah. Still Set obviously. free. Mm-hmm. Which was a little scary at first, but I know how to get a hold of him. So for the triple negative people who are early on in their journey, any words of advice? I don't know. I don't know if I'm an expert at this or not, because I, my big thing is I like to say stuff like everything will be okay, but I hated hearing that in the beginning. (laughs) I wanted to say, how do you know? How do you know it'll be okay? Your story's not the same as my story. So I think my word of advice is just one foot in front of the other study and research as to you, your ability and let people help you when you can. I mean, just if you have the help, take it. Don't feel bad about it. You know, I felt bad at a year after chemo when I was still like needing a nap at three o'clock and my daughter was ready to play and I felt so guilty. And I was at this, I had a great life spring class that was offered through our hospital and she, a nurse, she's like, Meredith, you can still be tired one year after chemo. Yeah. So just don't be so hard on yourself. You know, it, it takes a beating on your body and yeah, one foot in front of the other. If you have to take a nap, take a nap. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And don't look for the worst. Right. Oh my gosh. Right. When you, yeah, everything will be okay. It will. And also hang on to those beauty in the darkness moments because they are absolutely everywhere. I can think of every crisis that we have gone through related to cancer and not. And the beauty that overshines the darkness is immeasurable. I mean, it really, really is. Those that say cancer is a gift, I don't think I'm there. And maybe I would be if mine was curable. Um, But I have to tell you, I argue that it is curable. I okay, will tell I'll you, take it. I'll take at it. 10 years. If you have not had a recurrence, you are cured. Okay. I'll take it. That's that doesn't mean that you can't get another breast cancer down the road when you've got a BRCA mutation. It's, I always tell people it's like cleaning a piece of meat in the kitchen, no matter how much you scrape that meat, you know, you're not getting every last little glob of fat off of it. It's the same thing when we do mastectomies, no matter how well you do the mastectomy, you're leaving a little bit of breast tissue behind because you can't 
get it all off. Right. So there's still risk. And, you know, patients really don't understand that like, oh, there is still a risk even after a mastectomy. Well, it's because we can't get every last cell of breast tissue out of your body. So, you know, you still have a risk of another breast cancer, but the one you had from my standpoint, I would tell you you're cured of that. You're hired. Great. I don't know what your doctor told you, but I would, if you were mine, I would tell you you're cured of it. Okay. I'll take it. (laughs) Because that's a much better way to go through life than thinking that it can't be cured. Right. Absolutely. You're right. Absolutely. I would tell myself at 10 years, the odds of it coming back is, you know, well below 1%. I'm going to count that as, as good as cured. And what's Campbell, you said Campbell plays travel softball. And what are some of the other biggest joys that you've had in that kindergarten to senior year? Yeah, well, I'm so lucky because that girl went to the elementary school I work at. So I saw her almost every day. Now she has a first job, now she's driving. I got to see her be a grandchild and she was amazing. And I got to see my parents love on her as a grandchild and she's the youngest. So of course the cousins say she's the favorite. So just, yeah, all those little moments that I've gotten to see, I was starting my new job with the schools on the first day of kindergarten. And I had to say to my new boss, I need to go. (laughs) I need to drop her off that first morning. And so then I had to share that little bit of my story and they're like, absolutely go. So I could, you know, take her there. In the softball world, we have a Nebraska girl who's the number one softball recruit in the nation who's a year older than my daughter and just this summer my daughter struck her out and I said my work here is done (laughs) (laughs) I got to witness that we are done now seeing and I don't know if I would have switched to part-time work had I not you know been diagnosed I think we were like whoa slow down I've had summers where I drove a car without air conditioning. You know, we made different choices so that we could make that work for our family. And I don't regret any of that. It does make such a difference in how you prioritize what happens in your life. I think that's so much the silver lining for people is realizing that life is short and we, none of us have a guarantee. And how are you going to really prioritize living over just having a life. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It was so nice to meet you and see your pretty face. And I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate it. And thanks for what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. I would really appreciate it if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts. This allows other patients to find me more easily. You can also find more information on my Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD. On the Facebook page, there is a group for survivors and caregivers where you can ask questions or make suggestions for the podcast. I look forward to interacting with you there. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.